Straw Hut Media. There are a lot of misconceptions in the world about what exactly asexuality is. It's an identity under the LGBTQ umbrella, sure, but what does it actually mean? Today we're joined by Yasmin Benoit, a model and activist for the asexual and aromantic community. Yasmin has created hashtags to form an online community for ace individuals and is about to make history by launching the very first International Asexuality Day on April 6th. She's here to talk about her personal journey in discovering who she is, why she does not need a partner to be complete, and how others can help to stop the spread of misinformation. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. My name is Yasmin Benoit. I'm a model and aromantic asexuality activist from the UK. Yasmin was born and raised in the UK, but her family is originally from the Caribbean islands. Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados, and Jamaica. I mean, I feel like we start at the beginning. Like, what was little Yasmin like? <laughs> um, I was very similar to how I am now. I was a little nonconformist weirdo. She was a bit of a metalhead and surrounded herself with posters of her favorite rock bands. And when she wasn't rocking out, she was... I like, really liked WWE and video games. I was kind of like that kid. <laughs> like one of my earliest childhood memories is playing, um, watching my cousins play Mortal Kombat on the Dreamcast, if anyone remembers Dreamcast. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of a little, just like a little odd kid, uh, kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. And I grew up to be very much the same. <laughs> she found herself gravitating towards female characters when playing, and she obsessed over the way they looked. I think that the style of the female characters in video games inspired my uh, current aesthetic, for sure. <laughs> she realized at a young age how she wanted to look, but she also noticed that she didn't really care as much how others looked around her. I always say I realized I was asexual and aromantic when everyone else realized that they weren't. So pretty much like puberty when everyone just kind of switches and you go from like just playing with your Lego and just chilling and then all of a sudden the kids like fancy each other and they want to date each other and there's hormones and there's drama and I was like, okay, so I guess this is what we're doing now. Um, but it wasn't anything I was particularly interested in. I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. I assumed it would happen to me, whatever was happening to everyone else, but it wasn't something I was like hung up on. Um, but it didn't happen. <laughs> and after a while, you kind of stop waiting for it to happen. And it wasn't a problem for me, but other people were very like curious about it. And they thought that there must be something wrong with me and everyone was trying to work it out. Her friends and family were concerned more than Yasmin over finding a word to describe her feelings. Um, and then that's kind of how I came across the word asexual because people would always quiz me on an almost daily basis. And then eventually someone said, maybe you're asexual or something. And I Googled it and I was like, oh, cool. There you go, there's a word. Shame no one else knows what it means, but <laughs> there's a word. For anyone that doesn't know, asexuality is... Just experiencing little to no sexual attraction. And on top of being asexual, 
Yasmin discovered she is also a romantic, which is... It's just experiencing little to no romantic attraction. And there are aromantic people who aren't asexual, and they still feel sexual attraction, but not romantic attraction. And then there are asexual people who aren't aromantic. So they still experience romantic attraction. They're still interested in dating and falling in love and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're just not really experiencing sexual attraction. And it just so happens that I am both. <laughs> With less time being spent on crushes and silly school drama, little Yasmin took up a few hobbies. I'm an only child, so I was the kind of kid that just had a bunch of like hobbies <laughs> and I kind of just like exhausted every other hobby, you name it, like martial arts, gymnastics, archery, dance, which I'm terrible at anything. I did it, football. <laughs> and by the time I was like, like 16-ish, I was like, okay, like I, I need something new. Yasmin had friends who were into performing arts, which is also how she got the idea to take up modeling as her next hobby. Her mom signed her up with a youth agency at the age of 16. But then I kind of aged out of it pretty quick. And then from then I was like, okay, I kind of, I want to like model what kind of stuff I actually like. So I kind of started going about it independently and built a portfolio. And I started working with like alternative kind of like gothic brands because that's how I dress anyway. Um, and then I kind of started getting more like lingerie work just because I have D cups and I just fit in it well. It's almost like a brand that you have where it's on one hand, you're extremely sexy and what someone who doesn't know would consider like, that's, she's probably very sexual. Look how beautiful and sexy she is. But on the other side, you're like just modeling. It's just what you're doing. Is that, is that hard for you to turn on or is it like acting? It's, I don't, I feel, I feel like sexiness is in the eye of the beholder. I feel like as a woman, it takes minimal effort to be, for people to interpret something you're doing as sexy. I mean, I've had people sexualize me in like a, a, a jumper and like, as you guys are called sweatpants, like wearing nothing of interest. Um, so really, I think a second you just put the bra on, people are like, oh, it's sexy. Like you don't really have to do very much at all. Just like stand there, pose, make sure your your body's in the right position, make sure your the light's traveling through your limbs in the right way and you're facing the light and all that good stuff. That's what I'm more focusing on. And then if people find it sexy, then then that's kind of their perception. If they found it cute, I would be happy with that as well. Unfortunately, once some people find out about Yasmin's identity, they have a harder time accepting the work she does. A lot of people are just asking to be annoying because it's like you can wear what, like your clothes don't impact your sexual orientation. Like you can't dress gay, you can't dress straight, you can't dress bi, you can't dress asexual. Um, so when people are like, oh, you can't be a model and be asexual, you can't wear that and be asexual, you can't wear makeup and be asexual, I'm like, why? Like. What would that have to do with anything? What do you expect me to look like? Um, but I you know, I think just, it's kind of hard. Yeah, it's a hard question to answer because I'm like, well, why wouldn't I be able to wear this? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I do kind of, sometimes I just tend not to answer it. But sometimes these ignorant comments turn into actual hate. I find often there's an overlap between people who are TERFs and people who are like anti-asexual, anti-aromantic. Another word for this is acephobia. Um, it definitely tends to come from like the same kind of attitude. Um, and I think it, it definitely comes, I think it comes from a, per, from a place of miseducation for one. I think there is a belief that 
asexual people in particular are going to come in and make everyone stop expressing their sexuality or stop talking about it because they think that we're like anti-sex and we just hate anything to do with it um but i also think it just comes from like a kind of extreme place of like self-protection they feel like their space is being like diluted by too many people which unfortunately is not limited to people outside of the queer community but I feel like I do get almost as much stick from within the community as I do from outside of it, strangely enough. Yasmin points out a pattern where people turn even traumatic experiences into a competition. It's almost like you have to have gone through so much trauma to qualify to hold one of these identities. Which I kind of find, especially nowadays, to be a strange way to look at it. Because, you know, we're reaching a place where there's progress and there might be a time where, you know, people aren't getting killed for being queer. And then do we just cease to have a community? Is that how we're qualifying? Like, can you not walk into Pride unless you've been hospitalized a few times? Is like, is that how we're going to quantify, like, whether you can talk about things? But when it came to talking to her friends and family about her sexuality, she noticed that they had a lot less to say. And it's almost like a weird elephant in the room. Like, people just don't mention it to me to this day. (laughs) It's like no one ever says anything, which kind of suggests to me that maybe they're not that comfortable with it as a concept. Because just it's just like no one says anything about it. Even if I'm like, oh, I just spoke here. I was just in a magazine talking about this. They're like, gay. (laughs) So I don't know. You can interpret that however you want. Um, But I think, well, I think for family, it's, it's kind of like a, a weird kind of double-edged sword because on one hand especially in like a roman catholic caribbean family it's like they don't want you to be too sexual (laughs) or to like overtly sexual especially as a woman so on one hand they're like oh good she's just well behaved she's not a slut this is great but then when it's like actually this is like this is like my sexual orientation like i'm not a well a well-behaved straight person (laughs) i'm an asexual person and i'm aromantic and that's what it is then the reaction is quite different. So when do you have kids? When does that happen in this? Like, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. Yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, my my uterus, my womb works, so whenever I want to, (laughs) like, doesn't really make a difference, but people always assume we can't have children. Um, But yeah, I mean, even my my dad asked me if I was a pedophile or attracted to inanimate objects when I told him, because again, that's that's one of the things people assume. It's like, you're not attracted to people. You must have some kind of hidden perversion going on, which I don't, but that's another one of the many weird things that people assume. So yeah, there's definitely been a kind of mixed reaction. After the break, significant others, awareness, and the first ever International Asexuality Day. Welcome back. Today we're talking to Yasmin Benoit, an English model, writer, and activist for asexuality and aromanticism. There's a lot of confusion around asexuality, especially when it comes to dating. When you're aromantic, it could be quite an alienating concept when people kind of look at you with severe pity just because you're not feeling something or someone, or you're not kind of like open to being in that kind of relationship because you're not romantically attracted to people like that. Um, I mean, just for kind of talking about being an ally this weekend, I had so many people tell me that I'm I'm 
pretty much like Ted Bundy. I'm like a total psychopath if you don't feel romantic love. And it's like our culture is still, as much as you might not think that's a prominent thing, is obviously it in people's heads that like that is the epitome of like human intimacy and connection. It's so interesting that you just pointed out that people confuse being, I guess what you'd say, like as a sociopath with being asexual or aromantic and those are very different things. So there's like, oh, you don't love people, you know, you don't find romantic feelings when you're with someone. Oh, you must be like Ted Bundy. Like that is <laughs> insane. It's a very common extreme. And I think it's, it's, it's just very telling that as much as people want to say, oh, no one cares. No one has a negative view about that. If your instinct when someone says, I don't experience romantic attraction is you're practically a serial killer. <laughs> It's like, well, obviously you do have this internalized thing. And this is because of not only, you know, the messages we receive in our society, but because of miseducation in general and a lack of awareness. Like this is obviously something we need to work on if these are the kind of ideas that you're getting. But what is the reality of dating as an asexual and or a romantic person? The first asexual people I met were a married couple. So <laughs> we're a married couple of two guys who are both asexual. So that was kind of like the first example I had. So it's, and I've met plenty of people who are asexual and they're, they're with people who aren't asexual, or they have children with them and they're married or they're in polyamorous relationships where maybe one of the other partners in that relationship isn't asexual. So. You can get your sex from there, or, and then you can get everything else from over there, or there are asexual people who don't mind having sex. It's kind of like washing the dishes, or, or they might actually enjoy <laughs> or they might enjoy it. It's just they're not sexually attracted to the person that they're doing it with. And some people can have sex without being sexually attracted to the person. Some can't, some can. Um, so yeah, it's not, a, it's not a relationship deal breaker. I've seen a lot of people who are asexual and happy, fulfilling relationships, or even like, it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship. There are what they call queer platonic relationships, where it might be someone who you're very close to platonically, you might platonically love them, you might buy a house together, you might you might have dogs together, kids together, mortgage together, whatever, but you're never romantically involved, and that works too. So there are like so many ways that you can still have a life partner or just have like an intimate connection with people. It doesn't necessarily have to be centered around your sexual desire for them or even your romantic desire for them. From your perspective, what is the best part about being asexual? I think it saves me a lot of time. I think it's, uh, especially being aromantic as well, um, I think it definitely saves me just a lot of effort. I mean, I don't have to think about, oh, like I'm horny, like I want to have sex with somebody. Well, I'll still be horny, but I won't want to have sex with somebody. And I don't have to think about, oh, how am I going to get that? Like, are they going to like me? Like, is this going to be safe? What about this process? What if I get pregnant? Like, I don't have to think about any of that stuff. And similarly, for relationships, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm single, I need a partner, I need to change this or change that or do this or do that and find them and I'm gonna date, do they like me? We're in a relationship, can I maintain it? We've broken up, I'm devastated, need to get a partner before they do. None of that. <laughs> like I observe people who kind of like, kind of go through that in their daily lives and it's just like, seems like a lot of effort. <laughs> so I think I, I can just focus on other stuff 
And I think that's, that's fun. Like my like self-worth and my value and my sexuality and everything is like independent of other people. So I think that's fun. <laughs> you also just brought up another misconception and that's that being asexual means that they are never horny. Like they have no libido. You have not. And that's also not true. Yeah. A funny thing about that one is like, cause the people say, oh, well you could just take a pill for that. And it's like, you just need, you're just like lacking in testosterone, you're lacking this, you're lacking in that. Like there are trans asexual people that take all kinds of hormones and they're still asexual. Like it doesn't make a difference. A pill to increase your libido doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be directed anywhere. And having a libido doesn't necessarily mean like, it, like your body functions like everybody else's. You're just not sexually attracted to people. It's independent of other people's desire to be with anybody else. Let's get into what we can do to help educate about asexuality and fight off all of these misconceptions, because clearly there are a lot. I had done a video on being an ally like just two days ago, and then that's where I kind of blew up and I got loads of hate for even suggesting people should be an ally, which is, again, one of the reasons why people really should be, because just saying like, you know, be an ally shouldn't be like a controversial point. I think the reason why I find the conversation to be a bit pointless is because rather than, you know, actually getting asexual people involved in the conversation and trying to get to know each other and understand that we actually do have a lot of issues in common, we have a lot of experiences in common, and that's why a lot of people in the asexual community identifies with the LGBT community so much anyway, aside from the very obvious overlaps in the sense of homoromantic asexual people or trans asexual people, for example. Um, instead of that, people are just going on about, like, you know, things that aren't really important. Like, why aren't we talking about how asexual people aren't protected by hate crime laws? Why aren't we talking about, um, the unnecessary medication of asexual people or us being taught that there's something wrong with us or people being taught that if you're not straight, then you are mentally ill or that you're you don't contribute to society, that you're unnatural. Like, shouldn't we be talking about that and uniting over that similar struggle? So yeah, I think that some things people can just do is just educate yourself about what it means. Um, there's like loads of resources online. And yes, asexual people and aromantic people can always take time out of their day to tell you, but after a while, it's gonna be kind of tiring. But there are lots of resources online for that. Um, you can always Google it. Um, and also it, it's just, I feel like for us, it's just very helpful just to help to normalize it. And you can just do that in just like your everyday conversation thinking about like the way you kind of talk about sexuality and stuff when people are always like you like this or you like this and that's it there's never any okay well there's also people that aren't really attracted to this or that or anything and that's fine too and just like by throwing that in there like you could completely like change a situation for somebody who might not have considered that or knew that they were asexual and was just thinking i don't know if this is a space where i'll it, it's safe for me to say that just kind of being inclusive in general, you know, especially around pride, throw an ace flag in there, throw an arrow flag in there. If you're, if you have a platform, you have a space, be inclusive in that space. And then eventually other people get the idea and we'll get the ball rolling. And April, 2021 marks a big day in history for the asexual community with the first ever International Asexuality Day. And I think it's great that like a lot of communities have a day. We have an awareness week in October, 
But outside of that, there's no guarantee that anyone's going to pay any attention to asexuality for every other point in the year. So it's quite good to have something at the beginning of the year to kind of bring up that conversation. And also just so we have something to like celebrate and just be happy about in in the context of all like the negativity we get all the time. But picking a date for a new holiday is no easy feat. Um, I mean, it came from... It came from people had kind of attempted to create days and occasions. And it would always be very much like a, a small group would be like, we elect this day or we elect this day. And and it and they often didn't have much like much planning, much organization or much consideration for kind of like what's going on in different countries. The group realized the best way to make a successful worldwide campaign was to include everyone. They got in contact with other countries and organizations to make sure the day was inclusive and could be celebrated by everyone everywhere. There were, well, because we wanted to have like the kind of input of as many people as possible, just so everyone was kind of on the same page about it. I think overall, we probably had at least like 40 plus people adding their input to varying degrees um about what was kind of going on like just kind of like representatives from different countries um or some people like like the person that designed the logo or the person that was handling the tech stuff or just kind of like different people doing different things and some people being like super active and some just kind of adding in like a statement to represent the views of a whole another group or but those those quite a few uh cooks in the kitchen (laughs) they finally landed on april 6th and launched the website internationalasexualityday.org I'm very happy with like the end result and it's cool that everyone is so like pumped about it. The themes of the day are advocacy, celebration, education, and solidarity. They encourage anyone under the ACE umbrella to participate. It can be as simple as posting about it on social media, but there are several organizations hosting events and campaigns that people can join in on as well. And follow and use the hashtag, one of many Yasmin has created to help spread awareness. I was writing, well, I still write a series of articles for a website called Queer Fashion, and it's called This Is What Asexual Looks Like. And I was like, well, to build from that, the whole purpose of the article was to kind of amplify asexual voices and show the diversity of the community and like give the agency back to the asexual community so we can represent ourselves about having to rely on like the media to do it because they usually don't do it very well. Um, and then when that kind of came out, I, I Apparently it trended on Twitter before I was on Twitter, so I only heard about that from other people. Um, And then there was like an Instagram page for it, and I saw loads of people using it. The hashtag, this is what asexual looks like, helps the community find each other. I feel like a lot of asexual people, because there's kind of a smaller number of us, it's hard to run into people in real life. It's not uncommon for asexual people to just have never met another asexual person. And when a lot of your community interaction is online, you're not necessarily going to see people's faces. You might just see like their avatars and emojis and usernames. And I think that they're, I think it's healthier to actually see people in the community that you're a part of or have some kind of glimpse into their lives. That's where the hashtag comes in, where users are encouraged to use the space to share pictures of themselves. And you can type in the hashtag and see people instead of just drawings or pictures or cartoons or celebrities that they're using as their profile pictures or whatever. And I think that that's quite a helpful thing. It's been helpful for me as well, just to be able to be like, okay, this is actually what the community I'm part of is like. 
it definitely also tells other people who maybe don't have the same level of platform that you have that like they're not alone. There's other people who think just like they do or have the same feelings they do. And that's something that I think hashtags do a wonderful job of doing is like it's this almost micro community. Um, an example I think of is like there was a, a hashtag that trended for queer disabled people and it was very similar. Did you have a lot of people reach out after that happened? Because you are obviously one of the more well-known people in the asexual community. Yeah, I have people reach out to me all the time, which is really cool. That's kind of like what makes it feel worthwhile, especially when you're just like getting a lot of hate for things. Is if, if there's like one person amongst 200 people yelling at me who says, you saying that helped me realize that I'm asexual and that has like changed the course of my life, then I'm like, okay, then these people can call me <laughs> whatever they want to because that was at least that. Like I know I've made a positive change for somebody. So yeah, when I get those kind of messages like that really makes the all the work feel very worthwhile. Um, I find it especially cool like if I'll do something that like reaches a whole different section like of a community like when i wrote an article for british gq and then i had like just guys reaching out to me who were like hey i have been married twice and like all these things have happened and i've only just realized that this is what i actually am so thank you and it's like it's not the demographic you might stumble across like on my instagram or on something else so it's it's always good to just kind of be able to make enough noise that you just reach as many people as possible so the hashtags are spreading awareness within the ACE community, but what about outside it? A lot of it just depends on how accepting people are to give us that representation. I can honestly say like our representation now is almost exactly the same as it was like 20 years ago. <laughs> the questions I get now are the same questions I got when I was a kid, same questions people before me got. And the need for education goes beyond people paying attention to the global campaign. I think in terms of media representation, like right now there are no active asexual characters on TV. Like we are like, there's, it's very much the same as it was a long time ago. So I think hopefully we're moving in a direction, but it just takes people, like the community has been campaigning for, for ages. Like people in the community are writing their own books, publishing their own stuff, <laughs> because we're at a point where it's like, no one's gonna kind of do it for us, but it just takes people outside of the community listening and realizing like there's a huge blind spot here. And I think that's limiting for everybody, not just the asexual community to have such a rigid idea of sexuality. So I hope to see us on like asexual characters on TV. I hope to see us in books. I hope that when people talk about sexuality, it won't just be, oh, you're gay, you're straight, you're bi. It'll be gay, straight, bi, ace, pan. And they'll just go into, they'll just be more diverse with it. Um, I hope that we're more represented in academia. I'm personally working on doing that. I hope we're more represented in social policies and everything. Like that's kind of, I want us just to be treated on the same level as like everybody else. So what are Yasmin's plans going forward? I would say go big or go home. So aside from just general world domination, I'm aiming for, um, I mean, I want to keep doing this for as long as, as, as possible. So, and there's nothing I really don't want to try and do. And she means nothing. So world domination was an accurate description of the goals. <laughs> okay, so we'll just, that's the goal, world domination. So <laughs> along that path, where can everyone connect with you on your journey to world domination? 
Well, I, my favorite social media platform is Instagram. So you can find me at the Yasmin Benla, T-H-E-Y-A-S-M-I-N-B-E-N-O-I-T. Um, my Twitter is at the same URL. So that's at, at the Yasmin Benla. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Pride. Yes, it's at Pride. It is that easy. You can follow me, at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, and Caitlin McDaniel. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. <laughs>